They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 19th of August. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all the radio stations who pick up our signal for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We appreciate that. And thank you to all of our listeners and those who support us uh, financially, those who support us with their prayers and um, with their, those who offer their sacrifices and sufferings for us. We really appreciate it. So today we want to look at a biblical view of work. Amen. Well, you know, we live in a world where some people don't want to work. And, and of course, unfortunately, we live in a world right now, especially in our country, where people are being motivated not to work by the fact that, oh, Big Brother's going to take care of you, the government. So, and, and, you know, some, some government officials said, well, we're going to equalize everything. We're going to take everything that the rich have, and we're going to distribute it among the poor, and, and then we'll all be equal. <laughs> anyway... But um, we want to look at those ideas and what do they mean for the dignity of the human person and what really dignifies the human person and how do we build one another up in the Lord? And is, is work a punishment for sin or is work a gift from God whereby we become more like him? So we want to look at these things and discuss them today in this, um, this episode. What I'm excited about, Mary, is these 10 key points about work in the Bible that every Christian should know. And like you just mentioned, we live in a culture right now where people are being paid not to go to work. Yeah. And that's unhealthy as a Christian <laughs> view. And I think it's exciting. But before we do that, I, I know when by the Bible with the Barbers, you always like to give commentary on the gospel of the day for Mass. And it's a short gospel of Matthew, Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. But it's powerful. And I'll read the gospel, and then let's get some good commentary. <clears throat> When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so we're looking at this and, you know, this is that often the the um they're they're testing him they're testing jesus they're baiting him mm -hmm. and um he's not going to be he's not going to take their bait he's he's going to give them the truth no matter what their response to the truth is he will speak the truth in love and he is speaking it in love and it's interesting that what, what's the greatest commandment well uh, the greatest commandment you shall love the lord your god with your whole heart mind and soul and so this is the first commandment. It's, if you look at the Decalogue, the first three commandments are about God, our relationship to God. Mm -hmm. You know, I am the Lord your God. You shall not have strange gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You shall keep holy the Sabbath day. So we first love the Lord our God, and then we have to love our neighbor. And again, what is love? 
Is love just a warm, fuzzy feeling and, oh, I just want to feel good and I just want to tell you that anything you're doing is okay? Or is love desiring the good of the beloved? And, you know, it's interesting. With God, um, the saints tell us, you know, God loved us first. So our love for God is, first of all, what they call complacent love. We gain something by loving God. But God can transform us into that place where, like in the Our Father, what do we pray for? Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is the model for all prayer. We're praying God is first. We're praying for the good, that God's name will be hallowed, that his kingdom will come and his will be done. And, and that will bring goodness to his creation because that's what he made us for, just to be in union with him, as Paul Clay and, and Jesse were just talking about. We're made by God for union with God. So, so we have to love him. And that love is a love that is willing to give up and to sacrifice. And, of course, Christ is the ultimate example of that love. And the cross is the ultimate expression of that love, the greatest proof that, there, that God loves us. This is how much he loves us. And so love your neighbor as yourself. Well, um, you know, what, what are we supposed to do? And, and everything depends on this, that we love God and love our neighbor. And of course, you have 1 Corinthians uh, 13, where it talks about love. And you have other places in scripture where it talks about love and what does love mean? And you, you can look those up. We have um, lots and lots of uh, different you know, Romans 13, 8 through 10, and 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And of course, there's a whole passage there of, uh, on love. What is love? And love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not boisterous. It's not proud. It's not arrogant. It does not rejoice in the wrong, but rejoices in the right. Mm. So we want the true good of the beloved. Well, when we're talking about our neighbor, what is our true good? Our true good is the union with God that we were made for. So when we see our brother sinning, if we do not exercise fraternal correction, and, and again, you have to measure things. You have to measure whether the person's in a position to accept fraternal correction. But at least we have to pray that God will send someone into their life to show them that their way is in error. When we're not keeping God's commandments, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's it's an, it's an active, I will keep the commandments of the Lord. I will fight against my tendency towards sin and laziness and um, self-indulgence in order to keep God's commandments, all of them, all 10 of them, Right. you know, the, the Decalogue. So this love is a very, it's active. We receive love from God and that's passive, but in receiving that love from God, then God gives us that love and fills us up with his love so that we can give that love to those around us. And um, we love one another by desiring the good of the other. The highest form of love is friendship. And true friendship wants only the good of the beloved. And a true friend will always tell you when your actions are leading you in a direction that's destructive. I think Father Bill Casey said it well. He said, the most merciless thing you can do is let someone wallow in their error. So I think uh, this is how an expression of love when you tell people the truth in charity. And we hope that's what we do at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Mary, this gospel is very powerful, and I think it ties into the theme, too, of work, because an expression 
Like, for example, I'm your husband. I go to work to support my family. Amen. This is an expression of my love for God and my love for my family. God Absolutely. has given this as a gift. I have certain gifts that have been given to me. Amen. And I use those gifts in serving the community. Right. And this is why it is good for man to work. And this is why the culture that we're in right now, that's not supporting the culture of work. and It's a culture of entitlements. Entitlements will make you lazy. I'm just being, but we'll get more into that. But that's, that seems like this gospel about love fits right into when you express your love for your family when a man or woman goes to work. Right. And again, when we desire the good of the other person, mm-hmm. we desire that they recognize their dignity as human persons created right. in God's image and that they live in accord with that dignity. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I remember there was a story about a family where the, the daughter decided not to go to high school. And it's like, fine. I mean, college. And she, they're like, fine, you don't have to go to college, but you have to work. Yeah. <laughs> and so she did. She went out and got a job and it was she, it was the greatest thing for her. It was just awesome. It was just that that the reality of how it dignifies you and, and gives you a sense of, of, of worth, and it builds you up. I even saw it with our children, Mary, to make personal, when the kids would make a, a few dollars selling lemons or limes or avocados or fruit in general, and they'd come back with their money, and they were like, hey, I earned that. Right, and even when they weren't, when we did things as a family to clean the house or to clean the yard, yep. they were happy. Oh, yeah. They had more joy when they're just sitting around, yeah. you know, doing nothing or they get angry and combative. Yep. But when you're working together and, and even if you're not getting paid for it, right. you notice the children yeah. are happier. They want to work. And yeah. we've seen this with our grandson. When, when I'm cleaning the house, he wants to work with me. Yep. When his dad is doing construction, he wants to work with his dad. Right. His, his dad refinished our front deck and, and little Bo was out there, He's you know, I'm two years old and he's out there helping his dad mm-hmm. it, they want to work children want to but if you don't train them up when they're little and teach them how to work they become incapable of working yep mary we're going to take a quick break and we'll get into the whole aspect of point of the work in the bible and whatever christian should know about that i want to remind everybody starting monday we're going to have a fundraiser which we call matching funds what that is is we're gonna we've got ten thousand dollars committed that can become 20000 because when you put 50 or or $100 down, it doubles. And so if you want to get involved with that now, you can go to our website, vmpr.org, uh, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. And uh, we appreciate your support because this is the time where your donation extends to being double what you give. And we don't have that except maybe once a year. So this is the time of the year if you can make a donation to Virgin Most Powerful Radio, Now's the time because it doubles your donation up to $10,000. When we come back, Mary, Danielle, we, I love this topic, uh, 10 key points about work in the Bible every Christian should know. And there's so many scripture verses that support the aspect that we should work. I remember even St. Paul saying, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Right. I mean, Don't you know, mean. that's pretty direct, isn't it? I didn't yeah. say it, but I believe that St. Paul was spot on. I hear the music, Mary. So when we come back, we'll do that. And again, if you want to make a donation, now's the time. Go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or you can call us at 888-877-526-2151. That's 877-526-2151. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, August the 19th, 2022. And we're talking about work and the dignity of work and where we get the idea that we're supposed to work. <laughs> and we have an article, uh, we found this online, a beautiful article, uh, The Theology of Work. It's 10 key points about work in the Bible every Christian should know. And the first part is work is part of God's big picture. That The idea that man should work comes from God's purpose for man. And um, they, you know, they refer us to Genesis 1 and 2 here. And in Genesis 1 and 2, you have this um, reading where, of course, we're in Genesis 1, 20, beginning in 1, 20, God says, um, he's no, not one twenty. I'm sorry, one twenty six. Mm-hmm. God says, um, "Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the cattle and over all the wild animals and all the things that creep on the ground. God created man in his image, in the divine image. He created him, male and female, he created them. He blessed them, saying, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all living things that move through the earth. God also said, See, I give you every seed-bearing plant all over the earth and every tree that has seed-bearing fruit on it to be your food. And then in Genesis 2, we have um, God is going to make, it's it's Genesis two is kind of a, an unfolding of Genesis one. In Genesis one, you just have the the statement that God made man, male and female. Genesis two gives you the specific details. So the heavens and the earth were created, and God finished them. And what's interesting in Genesis two, it says, you know, on the seventh day God rested. Mm-hmm. He rested from all the work that he had done, and he blessed the seventh day, and called it holy. Okay, and then um, so. And we will talk about that aspect of work, the necessity to rest, not to be a workaholic. Okay, but then the Lord God goes on. At that time when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, while as yet there was no field shrub on the earth and no grass of the field had sprouted, for the Lord God had sent no rain upon the earth and there was no man to till the soil. And I remember Dr. Barber explaining that, you know, in Genesis 1, you have God created all the wild things. Mm -hmm. In Genesis 2, he's talking about the fields, the fields where we cultivate. And so there's no man yet to cultivate the fields. So God hasn't made them. So now in Genesis 2, he will make man, and it gives you the specific details of how he created man, uh, male and female separately, but nonetheless male and female, but to work. And work was not a punishment. As a matter of fact, work was part of their participation Um in their image and likeness of God. So in, in the big picture, in God's big picture, work was part of the big picture from the beginning. Man would work. You know, when God made those plants, the, the, the trees that bear fruit, and man was supposed to, um, you know, eat the fruit of the trees, guess what? You have to go pick it. <laughs> you're going to work. And if you're going to subdue the earth, you're, you're going to take dominion over it. That doesn't mean destroy. It means to order it, to order it properly. So it, it's work. It's work that, that man is being commanded by God. And um, he, the, this writer gives some other references. He, re- reveals you, he refers you to Revelation 21, 
21.1 through 22.5. And what, what he's doing there is he's, he's showing you, um, okay, we have the creation in the beginning, the natural creation, okay, in Genesis 1 and 2. And then you have in Revelation 21.1 through 22.5, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, okay? So he's just referring you to those. And in Isaiah 65, you have the Lord, the prophet telling the people, you will eat the word, you know, you're going to be able to produce you're going to go out and farm. You're going to go out and plant crops. You're going to be able to, and they, and will, the ground will bear fruit for you because God will bless your work. Mm. Okay. And so that's, that was the first point there. Now the second point, our actual work matters to God now and eternally. Jo- God chose to create man and woman in his image. Among other things, work, among other things in his image, and to tend and work the created order and to bring it into an order, okay, God's order, okay, for his glory and the betterment of mankind. So when we work, we're doing this to serve the glory of the Lord. We're doing this to to bring about his kingdom. And we want to... um, I'm just looking ahead at these 10 points. You know, point five is that our work is yoked to Christ. And the interesting thing about that is, you know, Jesus worked, right? The Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ, God became man. And I want to bring these two points together that, yeah, our actual work matters to God. So much so that when God became man, he didn't become a rich king who was served by everybody else. He was born to a carpenter. And that carpenter taught him how, or a manual laborer, a, a general contractor. <laughs> and that Joseph taught Jesus how to work. Yep. And Jesus worked. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, you can look at paragraphs 531 and 533 for further commentary on this. But, and again, even, even Protestants, I invite our Protestant brothers to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church because it gives you beautiful commentary on the scripture and a fuller understanding so when we work, we can unite our work to Jesus Christ because now, because God became man, it's funny, our, our work in the natural order, it's just good for us to work. God made us in his image. God works, right? Even now, my father is at work, Jesus would say in the gospel. What, why? Because he's holding, he's continuing to hold creation in existence. He's, as it were, constantly creating the world. It's not like he said, it once I'm done and that's it. He, he constantly holds it in creation. He's constantly working, you know. And Mary, let me jump in and say, statistically, right now, as we speak, only about 20% of the people who go to work find their work rewarding. Wow. Yeah, it's very low. And wow. here's something that you just touched on, and I'll mention what Fulton Sheen said, that every action is like a blank check. If Christ's name is on it, it has infinite value. So the job that you have that might be, you know, hum, 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 you know, in other words, mundane. it's not mundane that you're not too excited about. You can bring meaning to it, supernatural meaning, like you just said, our actual work matters to God now and in eternity. Think of it this way. You're doing your work. Maybe you don't have the job of your dream right now. You're just going through the process of working yourself up in the in the firm that you're working at. But you can offer that up to God so that those sacrifices will affect souls for their salvation. So now you come to work with a view 
not of just a human view. Hey, they're going to pay me $20 an hour to get this job done. But now I'm going to take the work of a supernatural view and say, I'm going to be saving souls by doing my work today. Yeah. And that, that's it. So, you know, our life can become very dreary mm. and become very burdensome if we don't um, look to God who made us Amen. and remember why he made us. Mm. This is why we, we want to pray often because we want to be in touch with God and we want him to be speaking to us and reminding us, I love you and I made you for union with me. And, and again, the Lord Jesus really became man. Mm-hmm. The second person of the Blessed Trinity, excuse me, the Lord Jesus is man. He's truly human and he's truly God. But it was the second person of the Blessed Trinity who takes to himself this human nature, Jesus of Nazareth. And he's not a human person. He's a divine person who has taken to himself a human nature. And he redeems every aspect of our humanity. In the fall, we lost friendship with God. And the second person of the Blessed Trinity becomes man, and he restores everything in himself. He he reclaims, he recapitulates everything in himself. He brings it all back, all of creation, and every aspect of the human being, the human person. He brings back to himself and takes it back to the Father. So we can unite our work to the work of the Lord Jesus. And he worked. He worked manual labor. And, and there's, you know, there, there's the manual labor work. And, um, but he didn't just work all the time. So there's, there's a lot of, it, and it, you know, it goes on here. God provides specific skills and unique talents. And he, he calls us to particular roles and activities. Do we see that? Do we see that we have a role? Okay, that, you know, sometimes... Um, someone would say, well, you know, I'm just the janitor. I just clean toilets. Well, excuse me, honey. If you didn't clean toilets, guess what? Nobody would want to use that bathroom after a while. It gets pretty bad. So even though you see yourself as little in your own eyes, yet your work is dignity and it it actually dignifies the people around you. Mm -hmm. Man wasn't made to live in the dirt. You know, I was like a, a, a mother who's a, a wife and mother and a stay-at-home mom. She might think, well, you know, what am I doing? I'm not, you know, was it, I love Cardinal Manzini's poem, which I don't have in front of me, but a mother. You know, she didn't build Notre, Notre Dame Cathedral. She didn't need to. She built, within her body was built the tiny perfection <laughs> of the body of her child. Oh, yeah. The, a, beyond a cathedral, an eternal, I mean, a cathedral is, is passing, but, but the, your children are eternal. She built this edifice. And, and of course, it, this is what God has created, that it's not the woman doesn't create her child and the man and woman don't create their children, but they co-create with God. They cooperate in God's plan to bring forth children. And you know, the work that God has assigned for us to do, we don't have to belittle ourselves. Yeah. Everyone is needed Every little job needs to be done. You know, everything is important. Absolutely. And I might add, for you, Mom, all you moms out there, you're changing the world one diaper at a time. Right. Everything we do can be offered to God, whether it's our work at home, our work away from home. So this is really Catholic teachings. And I think that we really have to have that understanding. Our life is boring without that. 
Right. And it's, it's, it's not so much, it's not just boring. It's, it's a drudgery. It becomes a burden. <laughs> it becomes a burden. So, you know, you have that, that, the, um, <laughs> the, um, Ecclesiastes, you know, vanity of vanities, all things are vanity and a mm-hmm. chase after the wind, you know, and it mm-hmm. sounds very depressing, but it's not. If you read the whole book, you realize that what he's saying is if we're just pursuing the things of this earth for the sake of the things of this earth in order to find a, a lasting happiness in this passing world, guess what? Then it is vanity. Yeah. But if we're pursuing our work for the glory of God to build up his kingdom and to build up our brothers and sisters and to serve one another, then our work has eternal value Mm -hmm. because it's united to God and it's done in imitation of God. So it's not just a vanity. And and it's interesting. People think, well, why should I have to work? You know, it's in Paul had some pretty strong words. I encourage everyone to read second Thessalonians three, six through 14. Then Terry quoted at the beginning, if a man at the end of the first half, first quarter here, first quarter, (laughs) our first Mm -hmm. section, if a man will not work, do not let him eat. Yeah, read the whole passage. Paul is very, very hard on those who don't want to work. He has some very strong words. And this is God speaking to us through this letter. Well said. We'll be back with more with the Bible with the Barbers. Ten, Ten key points about work in the Bible every Christian should know. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, August 19th. Thank you. And again, we're talking about work and the dignity of work, and we've covered several points in an article called 10 Key Points About Work in the Bible Every. 10 key points about work in the Bible that every Christian should know. So the first point was work is part of God's big picture. The second point, our actual work matters to God now and eternally. And the third point, which we've covered, is God provides us with unique skills, gifts, and talents and calls us to a particular role and activities. And we want to just sum that up by saying, although the roles might have apparent differences in importance, our calling are equal. Amen. There are, they are spiritual callings. We're, we're called to serve the Lord and to become like him. There are no second class callings from God. Okay. So your work is important. No matter how little you think it is, God has great plans for you. God has plans for union with you, for you to be in union with himself. God calls us to union and work is part of this union. We, we become like God when we work. So we want to, and, and it's, it's, it's part of what we talked about in the beginning of this today's session. We, we talked about love, the, the gospel about love, the two great commandments, love God and love the, and love our neighbor. So we love God. We follow his example. We, we work like him and then we love our neighbor by serving our neighbor. That's our work. So point four, quality, character, and ethics are the foundation for our work. What do we mean? We are responsible not only for the quality of our work, we should always work to our best. Don't do a half job. But also for our faithfulness to God in the way that we pursue that work. Remember, if, if our work is a calling from God, then we're being faithful to him and carrying it out. So let's, let's do our best. And for our own good character while working, we will be judged and rewarded accordingly. However, God is ultimately 
God is ultimately responsible for the outcome and the impact of our work. It's interesting because in the Old Testament, it's, you know, there's, in the, I believe it's the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Lord, it is you who have accomplished all that we have done. Right. The reminder that I can't do any good without God's help. I like what Bishop Sheen says, any good that I do comes from God, and I thank him for it. Amen. Amen. And, and that the, the reality of our work, that um, our work serves mm-hmm. those around us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we go to work and we just sit and collect a paycheck, that's stealing from our employer. Mm-hmm. We have a job to do. And, and there's, and believe me, temptation every time especially in our world we go to work and we have our cell phones with us they're a distraction we have people around us we want it, it maybe i work in a realty realty re, real estate retail store oh, okay, retail okay. and it's not real busy got it okay and i work in a department and it's not real busy there are a lot of people there well people tend to just sit around and start gossiping and talking mm-hmm. and and wasting time mm-hmm. when you're when you're there you're supposed to be making sure that the store is clean that everything is in order that um Things are where they belong because people move things around and you're supposed to be constantly attentive to the details. It's, it's interesting because Father Capadon, Vincent Capadon, mm-hmm. he, he's a military chaplain who um, gave his life for, his, for, for men. He's serving the men in, in, in Vietnam. That's right. He, he gave his he, he sacrificed his life to save men. And he, he was the, he was the chaplain. He was a Catholic chaplain for the Marines. And his cause was up for canonization. And it's interesting because um, there are certain, uh, you know, they always have the devil's advocate. And one, I don't know if it was the devil's advocate or certain powers that be within the, I don't know what they call that, the dicastery for saints mm-hmm. to consider whether a person is worthy of being called a saint if they practice heroic virtue. Yeah. They're saying, well, you know, he was a little fastidious about his dress. <laughs> well, you know what? The details matter. Of course. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be fastidious. But just because a person is fastidious doesn't mean they're proud and arrogant. It may be that they are practicing a tremendous unseen discipline upon themselves to, um, to exercise that. Maybe it's hard for them to pay attention to those details. Trez of Lezu once had the experience in the comment. She did something once in the community to get the attention of the other people's nuns, of the other nuns. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they thought she was being very virtuous. Mm-hmm. She says this in her, the, the book of, you know, her, her story, the story of a soul. And yet she had done it. Her motivation was not pure. She had done it for attention to herself. So that was wrong. It was wrong of her to do it, even though it looked virtuous on the outside. And another time she did something that was extremely virtuous and a difficult for her. It was a sacrifice. And everybody made fun of her and, and put her down because she had, she wasn't practicing virtue in this instance. <laughs> it's like it's crazy. We don't know from the external action what's going on in the inside. So Fa- Father Capadon, Vincent Capadon, and we ask him to pray for our priests, that our priests will be fervent and faithful in the exercise of their ministry, that they will do this, that they will, God, you know, their ethics, that they will take seriously their priesthood and they will be there to offer the sacraments to others and offer the, the especially confession and the Eucharist and, and, and be there for their people as he was who gave his life. Mary, if I can jump in again, you made a very good point about Father, and that is a lot of times when we do things, we're looking, and the little flower, we're looking for other people to be affirming us. Yeah. But really... And I get that, you know, don't worry. I mean, I like my wife, I, you know, that she will affirm me. And I get that. That's a human level. Right. But I really think that for our own stability, 
uh, don't worry about what other people think of you. Right. Worry about what God thinks, because that's ultimately what matters. And I think sometimes in our culture, we're so conscious about our neighbors. So what are they driving? Or what kind of house do they live in? What are they, yeah. you know, this is immaterial. It's not has nothing to do with our eternal salvation. Right. And so I just think that uh, let's keep the eyes on the focus of our purpose in life and not worry about having the Joneses or the Smiths looking and saying, well, look at those fags. They're really doing well, aren't they? Mm -hmm. That has no no bearing on what our life's about. So keep focused on Jesus. Keep focused on Jesus. And the the author of this article here gives you Matthew 25. Mm -hmm. It's um, the parable of the talents, verses 14 and following, where the talents and, and different talents are given to different people. And what do we do with them? Yep. You know, and that's that's what the Lord is asking of us. So we're going to move on here to number five. Mm-hmm. Are you our work is yoked to Christ? And I already talked about this in the aspect that first of all, Jesus Christ became man, and so yes, um, our work, He worked, and and I really it, it read the Catechism, paragraphs five thirty one and five thirty three. It talks about this, but um, we should work as if yoked to Jesus Christ. Amen. The, the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice with love and faithfulness going before him. The author puts this quote from scripture here. Yep. Our work and the decisions we make, all of the decisions we make should be based on these principles aligned with God's moral standard, always concerned with the fair treatment of others and with a clear expression of Christ's love for all people. And I found another um, article, well, article. I went to the... Um, United States Catholic Bishops Conference, um, and it talked about work and just some, you know, work, we, we're not supposed to, if say we're an employer, we're not supposed to be exploiting our employees. Right. That's not what it's about. It's not about exploiting them. It's about, again, serving the Lord, being yoked to Christ, uh, making sure that we're paying a fair wage, but also making sure that our people have time off. The idea that our workers can work, you know, um, 10 hours a day, six days a week. No, this is wrong. People need time for family. They need time to do their duties. And so, um, you know, the dignity of work and the right of workers, you might want to, I I would refer people to go to this. You can't really see it here on the screen, but the dignity of work and the rights of workers, the United States Catholic Conference. And it's, it's beautiful because they give you the scriptures and just the basic principles. And so, yeah, when we're yoked to Christ, we treat others as if they were Christ. And we and again, remember, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a scriptural pr- principle. We need to think about, well, would I want to be treated that way? I might also add St. John Paul II, the great, I call him the great, he also wrote a dissertation on the dignity of work, and that's another great source. You can get that on the internet. Right, and the, the name of that was... Um, Pope John Paul II considers the dimensions of work. Yep. Um, and I can't remember the name of the document, but yeah. You can just type that in and you'll get it. That's how yeah. I got Saint mine John copy. Paul II. Yeah, and it's just, it's just a beautiful, the beautiful reality of, of uh, the dignity of human work and the dignity of the worker. Mm-hmm. Remember, it's not about exploiting people. We live in a society where um, unbridled capitalism, and I remember John Paul II said this. Yeah, he did. He's, he equated... Wake up, everyone. He equated unbridled capitalism, that is, where money and the market drive. I'll give you an example of it right here. We just had it with Walmart today. It's announced. They're going to pay 
for their employees to go get abortions. Okay, remember other companies are doing that? And you know what it really comes down to? Economics. They're saying, well, wait a minute, this person's working for us. If they have the baby, we got to pay maternity leave. It's cheaper to give them five or $6,000 to go across borders or do whatever they have to do to get uh, the abortion. See, that's unbridled capitalism because what you're putting ahead of the child is the economics. Right. And, and, and he, John Paulson compared unbridled capitalism to communism and socialism. Of course it is. And I remember at the time, I think his name was William F. Buckley. He was a, a, a journalist. Right. He's Catholic, but he, yeah. he was so upset. And he was like, and I said, no, don't you understand? Capitalism, he's not condemning capitalism. He's condemning the idea that the worker is only there to serve the greed of the employer. Right, wrong. So, so we're, we're yoked to Christ, right? And Jesus in, in Matthew um, 11, 29 and 30, he says, come to, come to me, learn from me for, and take up my yoke upon you for I'm meek and humble of heart. So we want to treat one another with, with respect and dignity and be meek and humble, but in, in an attitude of service, which brings us to point six here, <laughs> our work should be centered on the service of others. Amen. For the products and services we provide to provide a fair financial reward and providing opportunities for others to exercise their gifts and talents. Our work is an opportunity to seek the peace and well-being of our organization, cities, and nation. Humility and gratitude should be the hallmark of our character. We should always acknowledge God in our work and consider that being an ambassador for him is a weighty but honored responsibility. You know, I think of people who employ people like businesses. Yes. And I love to see these businesses grow because that means they need more workers. Yeah. And that's a blessing for the owner. I've, I've talked to Carl Karcher from Carl's Jr., he said that was one of the best joys I had is employing people. Stay with us, family, on The Bible with the Barbers. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. So we are on point number six of this article on um, what every... 10 things Christians should know about work in the scriptures. And, and we're talking about our number six, our work should be centered on the service of others. And in Matthew 7, 12, our Lord says, so whatever you wish that men would do to you, so do so to them. Amen. The way you want to be treated, that's how you should treat people. And, and he also um, has a quote from 2 Corinthians um, about being yoked to the Lord. It was... It was um, Chapter 5. I lost it. Yes. Yeah, chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. Yes. 5, five 16 to 21, where he talks about um, to be yoked to Christ. Mm -hmm. And I had it marked and I just pulled the page out of it. Oh, Sorry. Okay. That's okay. 2 Corinthians 5. Yeah. It's right here. Right. And, and it says, um, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, but we regard him because we regarded Christ once that way. But now we are a new creation in Christ. And it goes on to say, um, that so we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Okay? Mm -hmm. So this is what we have to remember. Okay? And, and Christ, he took on our sins. He took on the punishment. Excuse me. He took on the punishment. And he did. He, became, he took on the punishment for our sins in order so that we could be forgiven. Mm -hmm. So again, this is the kind of attitude we should have toward our brothers. 
So then we have number seven, and here's so important, Mm -hmm. Gary, and this was a point you really wanted to make. Mm -hmm. A rhythm of work and rest is essential to life. Amen. Is workaholism from God? Work, 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 work. And and there's the dignity of work, but what? God invites us into a deliberate pattern of regular rest. The periods of rest are intended to be restorative and are also opportunities to intentionally take time to consider Christ and our relationship with him, to spend time in prayer. It's interesting. Um, Joseph Pieper wrote a book called Leisure, the Basis of Culture. Oh, yeah. Ignatius Press. Yeah. And it's, it's a beautiful and he, he, it's not a big book. It's not huge. It's a very small book. But the reality that without leisure, we cannot develop art and music and these beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And the reality, too, remember, if all of this is, is, we look the big picture, and God, what does it say in Genesis? He rested. He worked for six days, and he rested. Now, it's not six literal days, but the reality that God is showing us of, yes, there's a time to work, and that's, again, Ecclesiastes. There's a time for every purpose under heaven, (laughs) a time to be born and a time to die, a time to work and a time to rest. And, and Jesus in his life, how many times would Jesus, you know, he, he's with the crowd and then he goes off to a quiet place to pray. Mm-hmm. He's showing us, yes, there's a time to work, but there's also a time to go and pray. And there's also a time to be with your family, just to be together. It's funny. I, um, a priest pointed out to me something, you know, Jesus goes to cross the lake. Okay. He, he takes us, he wants to take his apostles to a quiet, out-of-the-way place where nobody can get to them, right? So he goes across the lake. Well, by the time they get to the other side of the lake, the people have gone on foot ahead of them. And I never thought about this. I just thought, you know, whatever, you know, the, the, the scripture. And, and Father said, well, how is it that people were able to get ahead of them on foot? Because Jesus didn't let them row directly across the lake. He stopped in the middle of the lake where nobody could get to them. And he took time just to be alone with his apostles and to let them rest in his presence and to rejuvenate. Mm. And so that, yeah, the people who were walking had time, I mean, measure, measure, the, measure it across the Sea of Galilee and then around the Sea of Galilee. Go ahead and look up that passage. And, but Jesus, the people get there ahead of him. Because he stopped in the middle of the lake with his apostles to rejuvenate. He took time alone with them where nobody could get to them <laughs> on the middle of the lake. Insightful, isn't it? It was insightful. I said, thank you, Father. Oh, my gosh, yes. And this is, so yes, the rhythm of rest and work. And that's, that's part of what the, the, the Catholic bishops, too, they, they point out. You know, God rests on the seventh day and... Um, it, it, the Sabbath rest is for everyone. We're supposed to be allowed to rest from our work with the Sabbath. God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. That's why we're not supposed to work on Sundays because we're supposed to be with family. We're supposed to be with Christ. We're supposed to be with the Lord. We're supposed to be with our family in the Lord mm-hmm. and renewing ourselves so that we can go back to our work re- filled up again with the Lord so we can bring the Lord to our work. Well said. What about, uh, okay, now that was seven. That was the rhyme of work, number eight. I don't know if we're going to get through them all, but we're getting close. <laughs> the use of wealth in our investments should be directed by God. We should allow God to direct the use of all that he has provided through our work for the betterment of others and furthering of his kingdom. 
These provisions include our gifts, time, and financial capability, and influence. And then, Mary, there's really some good biblical uh, scripture verses like 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 7. But before we get to that, I just want to mention <clears throat> anything we own, we really don't own. Okay, right. Right. It's really all God's. Right. And I like this point because the use of wealth... You know, nobody's going to take, you know, they say that, you know, when you have your funeral, and I see so many funerals here at our chapel, I have not seen one with a U-Haul trailer following the hearse. Not one. You can't take it with you. And, and even if you did and had it buried in the ground, what good is it going to do you? Nothing. You know, remember all of the kings of Egypt who, who were buried in these big, sorry, whatever, yeah. the, the pyramids? And, oh, yeah. And they have these huge, and they brought, and, and, and what Everything. happened over the years? Thieves broke in and stole the gold. Exactly. And, you know, the, whatever. It's just, yeah, and, and that, that passage from Corinthians is for um, it says what do you have that you have not received if right. you have received it why do you boast as if it were not a gift so we are supposed to share if we have more than we need of this world's goods it's because we're supposed to take care of the poor mm-hmm. Jesus said the poor you will always have with you so you are supposed to serve the poor we're supposed to give from our means from our, our excess not just our excess but from even from our want like the, the widow's might you know, the widow who put in a, a small copper corn, she has put in more than all the rest mm-hmm. because she's given from her want. So we are supposed to share and, the, you know, our wealth is supposed to be shared and we're supposed to be concerned about others. And we're supposed to be serving, again, I, that I, attitude of service. Because what? Everything was made by God. All the riches of this world, all the gifts of this world are made by God. And so everything is God's. So it's ours to use for insofar as we need it but if we have extra, it's not just to store up and let moth and rust corrode and thieves break in and steal. Remember the rich man in the, in the gospel who had the big, huge harvest and all oh, my grain bins won't hold it. So I'm going to tear them down and big builder ones, big builder ones, build bigger ones. I get it. <laughs> and, and, and what does the Lord say to him? Yeah. You fool, this night your life is required of you. Number nine, God's work multiplies through relationships through the local church. You know, This is so important because we have a world that's really more lonely people in the world than we know what to do with. You know, I mean, just like people are all outside. Nobody wants me. Well, you know, get into some good friends relation. We need to be in relationship with other followers of Christ. Did you notice I didn't say within? Yeah. People who pull, pull you down. I'm sorry. You can talk to them, but don't have a relationship where because they're going to pull you down. We should commit to our local church's body and help bring the work of the world of work into the church and the church into the world of work. And this is critical for a healthy relationship also for you because without having good friends and relationships and working together, uh, you become depressed. That's what my experience has been with people. And without having an attitude of service. Yep. Now, again, in, in regards to the depression thing, it's true. I mean, it's... It, it, Serving others really helps. Oh, pick, well, and help your neighbor, Bishop Sheen, CD right. number yeah. one. Was it he said? He said, I sought my God, but my God I could not see. Yep. I sought myself, but myself eluded me. Yep. I sought my neighbor and I found all three. Now, granted, there are types of depression that are rooted in a brain chemistry imbalance. Yeah, that's always if, you know, if, if you're serving and you're giving and you're still depressed, have somebody check your brain chemistry. Exactly. Okay? But but the reality is, is we are here to serve and to give. And when we serve and give, it brings us joy. And, you know, it's not just about us. It, and, and again, 
the welfare state? Is it for the government? And I remember the priest said this recently to us. He said, well, you should all write to your, and I, I'm not suggesting this, but this is what Father said. I'm just quoting him. <laughs> you should all write to your representative and tell you, I'll be happy to pay more taxes because that way the poor will be taken care of. No, the government never does a good job of taking care of the poor. Government welfare has never really helped a lot of people. As a matter of fact, it, it's ruined a lot of families and destroyed them and broken them down and given people a reason not to go to work. Yep. We need the local community, the St. Vincent de Paul Society, that you, you set up a community in your parish where you serve the local poor, where you can evaluate the actual needs, but also provide men with an opportunity to work. And it's beautiful. St. Christopher's, you had this happen at your parish where yep. a man, I, what did he have, eight children? or He had mm -hmm. a family and mm -hmm. he lost his job. Now, he was looking for a job, but for, was it a year or two years? Yep. He couldn't find work. And, and so this, this, the parish supported him. He didn't have to go on public relief. And, you know, this is what, what started the Mormons with their welfare society was that during the Depression, there was a man who was a bigamist, who was a Mormon, who applied to <laughs> the state for, for relief, and they put him in jail because he was a bigamist. Mm -hmm. And the Mormons said, never again. Well, they, they gave a good example of taking care of the, the within their community. We should be following that example, not because we want people to be able to do wrong things, yep. but, but for the right reasons. And again, I remember my own uncle, he worked for NASA in the, in the 60s. And when the space program got cut, he was an engineer. He lost his job. It took him years because he'd worked for NASA and everybody was afraid, well, if NASA starts getting money again from the government, and they start the space program up again, we'll lose him. And nobody wanted to hire him. Wow. But he kept looking. He kept looking for work. He finally retrained as a civil engineer and got a job as a civil engineer. But, but nonetheless, the local community step in and help take care. And that's your local parish. That's what we, we should be doing. That's what, matter of fact, that's what the deacons were doing in the early church. Yep. And, you know, number 10 is work is a gift from God. Yeah. We should always acknowledge that work is a gift from God as is our ability to be happy in it. Wow. Alternatively, labor and achievement that springs from our envy of others is meaningless yep. and will never bring contentment and joy. Right. We look forward to the day when we will work together in perfect harmony in the presence of God and the new Jerusalem. Mary, before you do that, I just want to remind people, this is a theme we're doing, a biblical view of a particular topic whether it's today about work, could be something else. We hope our listeners, our engineer just told me this is really a great idea to do themes. Let us know if you like the themes we're giving you and what theme you want us to cover about what the Bible has to say about, and you fill in the blank, and we'll see if we can help you on that. Amen. Wrap it up, Mary. So we want to thank God for the ability to work. We want to thank God for the gifts and talents he has given us, and we want to serve one another in Christ, through, with, and in Jesus Christ as our model and our example. And we're doing this, why? For the praise of the glory of the Father's name, that his kingdom would come, that his will be done. This is how we spread the love of God. And I love saying, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, I'd be a billionaire. An attitude of gratitude is welcome just about everywhere. Thanks so much for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. May God richly bless you and your family. Have a great weekend, folks.